Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. What up and welcome to a very special review of a very special movie on or whatever movies. I am your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother Wesley and today we are talking about Tobey Maguire's Nobody. Tobey Maguire? Yep produced it. Me too didn't get him but Molly's game got him. And he was the jerky, poker-playing, misogynistic Hollywood bad boy type who outgrew his Spider-Man baby face and now is out of favor. So long story short, Tobey Maguire has been producing movies? Well, yeah. He's been around for a bit. He's been producing uh, just because he's not an A-lister anymore. And you know who else isn't an A-lister? I didn't think. Bob Odenkirk. Oh, come on. Why are you super excited for this review? I'm kind of oddly obsessed with this movie. There's only been two movies in my life that I've watched twice in two days. Uh, One, Ransom with Mel Gibson, and two, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. It was Brian's birthday, and he knows that I hate renting movies on VOD because it's like, we pay for six streaming services. There's nothing to watch. So on his birthday, he was like, I want to rent Nobody. And he like looked at me like with defiance just under the surface. And I was like, okay, great. Yeah, let's do it. Like totally suppressing all of my rage because it was his birthday and I knew that he, you know, could do whatever he wanted. So yep. he's, he wanted he wanted to rent Nobody. He watched Nobody. Halfway through Nobody, he was like, this is the best birthday movie ever. <laughs> you get a birthday movie every year. What's your birthday movie? This Well, I don't know. This year it's supposed to be Top Gun, which was supposed to be last year's birthday movie. But yes, in the before time, I had made a point of going to the movies every year on my birthday. And I had varying experiences. Uh, Armageddon was a particularly fun year. Uh, Contact was a good year, one year for my birthday. And then I remember, strangely, Wild Wild West was a year. 
And I was like, oh, man. Oh, with Will Smith? Yeah, I think even Independence Day before that was another birthday movie. But this all started because Terminator 2, 1991, had a preview. It was released on July 3rd. On July 2nd at 10 p.m., there was a preview. And we're talking 1991. So I was all of what? Just about to turn... 15? Yeah. And uh, mom refused to let me go. She wouldn't let me go to Del Amo Mall at 10 p.m. on my birthday for the most anticipated movie in history. And it's been 30 years, and I still feel it. Whoa, the resentment is still there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought that story was going to go way differently. Nope. I thought you were going to get to go, and it was going to be all glorious. <laughs> no such luck. So we, we do these things in, in acts of defiance uh, later in life. So we went to the farmer's market. We bought a whole bunch of crap. And then he ordered in for dinner. And you're like, what? <laughs> and then he's like, I want to rent a VOD movie. And we're like, um, okay. But it turned out that Nobody was was indeed a good birthday movie. And uh, I like to kind of rewatch the first 15 minutes after having viewed the whole movie because I feel like it reveals new things, things that are being subtly set up, things that maybe I didn't understand the first time around, but now we'll have more context for. And so I did, and I ended up watching the whole movie. <laughs> So from the beginning, I pretty much knew what we were going to get. But it was set up a little bit differently in that he had his monotonous day-to-day -day life. And her saying that she that he forgot the garbage or whatever was the same take as though it were yeah. the, same, ever, the same every week when he does the same yep. thing. But she only said it once. And then it was actually – she actually said it for reals in the movie when the movie actually got started. But there was that hip-hop sort of editing – style of the monotony of his life and i was like oh this dude is bound to snap like if he's not an underworld retired assassin type he's definitely going to become one falling down style but then indeed he was a retired underground assassin type so you did, it sounds like you went in not knowing that this was bob odenwick in his <laughs> new john wick turn brian gave me a little bit of setup he said like just just so you know it's kind of john wicky and i was like okay kind well, of now john i've got context wicky. for but we were speculating that that opening sequence was all created in post, that they didn't intend, they needed something more to establish the monotony of his life. And so they went back and they created this sequence using the, some of the same takes, using obviously the same day, but making it feel like many days, right? He's wearing the same shirt. Like you said, they use the same take of his wife saying, you forgot to take out the trash. You know, his son is in the same exact same position when he comes home every night. And it was a little off-putting because I was like, I don't get it. Is this like some weird sci-fi Groundhog Day thing that's happening? Right. Or are they just trying to illustrate how truly monotonous his life is? So that was a little confusing. And I think it's because it was an afterthought. It's interesting. And it's really cool that you noticed that. I thought that they were doing something deliberate. I felt like, oh, the uh, coming in the door and the truck behind him on the construction site and all the stuff, these visual and auditory cues that remind us like hits the same beat, beat 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 was an interesting decision that's somehow much more effective when you realize they might have put together in post the opening though effective was part of a larger more systematic problem with this film i feel like this is kind of like a quentin tarantino movie there are a lot of problems and tonally it feels a little all over the place but because it pays off and because it's so fun to watch, it's kind of all right. Like, it kind of makes up for those tonal and weird performance inconsistencies. 
It's almost as though a Quentin Tarantino type got a hold of John Wick and is like, let's make it a little bit different. Let's hire an older, less less established, arguably. You know, bear with me here. Because we all love Bob Odenkirk. If you don't love Bob Odenkirk, you're a dum-dum. But it's like Tarantino bringing back Bob Forster in Jackie Brown. And let's make Bob Odenkirk an action star. That's a thing. Let's make John Travolta a gangster in Pulp Fiction. And then there's the other Tarantino connection in the RZA, who played Bob Odenkirk's, I'm using air quotes here, brother, over the radio or on this weird receiver for a lot of the movie. And I thought he was going to be this omniscient handler, uh, Charlie's Angels, Charlie type off-screen character, <laughs> but who showed up with all the weapons. And RZA was with Tarantino on Kill Bill, who did the music, who then was like, oh, you can do that? You can make whatever kind of crazy movie you want? Cool. And he was in like The Man with the Iron Fist, and RZA from Wu-Tang Clan was like in action movies for a good long while. And I would venture to say this just continues that thread. RZA, I thought he was an imaginary friend that Hutch tuned into and was like his pseudo-therapist. Like white noise, like an electronic voice phenomenon thing that he manifested <laughs> in his old-timey stereo. <laughs> I definitely didn't think he was real the first time around. Third connection for Tarantino being the 72 Challenger, which featured prominently in Tarantino's Death Proof and also from Vanishing Point, which he talks about extensively in Death Proof. It's just a badass, like, muscle car. Yep. Uh, has that good low growl and that aggressive profile. And... Right. and so like Tarantino, you twist these movies just slightly. Same formula, slightly different ingredients, and it comes out looking different enough. You had Keanu Reeves and John Wick who drove the black car. Well, we did that. Let's get the white car. And now let's get the blonde guy instead of the dark-haired guy. And he's going to be wearing the dad polo instead of the suit. And instead of the dog, he's going to have a kitten at the end. And instead, of, and instead of the multi-million dollar modern mansion, he's got like a nobody house. Right. I mean, nice, but like a nobody house where he has a family and missing kitty cat bracelets. <laughs> right. And then they were like, all right, well, so who are we going to use to supplant the Russian mobster? And they're like, no, 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 let's not get too crazy. We're keeping the Russian mobster. <laughs> he showed up. And from the first frame, I was like, there he is, man. He's the, the bad criminal underworld man. And he's gonna do his little dance number and then he's gonna kill someone violently i bet in full view of all his party goers and revelers which he did yeah yulian who gets his own graphic title card for some reason yeah i thought this was an exotic location i was like wait where's yulian is that in ukraine somewhere yeah why is there this very distinctly russian underground bar uh right in the middle of hutch's city which is presumably like a like a michigan type town <laughs> uh it was ohio i think there were lots of Ohio plates, but he did use what looked like a New York City metro card. So it's just some amalgamation of, of Midwestern cities, but definitely a very Russian bar. So was the bus gang, the leather-clad bus gang, a Russian gang, or were there just some Russians peppered in? I think it was Russian underworld crime boss son running around like uh, Alfie Allen. And I think it was just his bros who happened to be Russian. So, yeah, I guess they were a Russian gang. So they crash their car, and then the next thing they see is a bus, and it's just the next place, the next location where they get to cause a whole bunch of trouble. Yep. So what we're jumping over here is the family in home intrusion because it's inconsequential. It is 
someone breaks it's into his house. inciting incident. And then he go right. So the inciting incident is he goes and seeks revenge. And then here's the baby. And he's like, damn it. Now I can't kill these people. And he leaves. And that's the end of Bob Odenkirk's revenge story. Because this story is based on an, on an experience he had with the home invasion where he locked some burglars down. They went down to his basement and he shut and locked the door and called the cops. And he's like, man, how would I have done that differently if I have been totally badass? And that's what I thought this movie was going to be about. Because the trailer suggests all these like gunshots and car chases and fight scenes. And he's like, give me the goddamn kitty cat bracelet. And then that was kind of the end of that movie. Inexplicably, he finds the kitty cat bracelet later on. But I was kind of thankful that that dumb story ended and we progressed to an equally dumb random encounter, important Russian mobster son on a bus saving a young lady <laughs> thing. Yeah, princess of all red herrings, right? The kitty cat bracelet, that sneaky devil, is just sitting there under the couch the entire time. Yep. So it's not, it starts as a revenge story, and his auditor self was always just right there under the surface, and this was some, the crack in the armor that starts to let it out. But the revenge story is just entree into deeper trouble he just happens to get himself into. Right, but we also, we're talking about the flaws that this movie has. But it seems like it's a very straightforward movie where we know what's going to happen because we've seen three John Wicks now and this is indeed by the same writer of all three John Wicks which is not surprising at all and so the deficit that those movies face is that we have to work backwards by the time you get to Parabellum the world has been more established and you're kind of into it but it is a simple dumb kind of nobody going up against the mob or the Russian gangsters kind of movie and so you're always struggling to create depth and engineer backstories amid the chaos that make this plausible to establish, as you do with the first chapter, this kind of underworld. Something that keeps it tethered to the real world. Otherwise, we just don't care. But do we ultimately care? Because the, another thing this movie suffers from, like Desperado came to mind, where you get the kid with the broken leg. Uh, he's like a young upstart, up-and-comer guy. And he's like, I want to fight. I want to be in your bad guy crew. And they're like, well, let's see. Test your metal. And he breaks the dude's leg mercilessly and that dude struggles with his broken leg until he can like join the crew and then kind of become like his counterparts and in this movie you have the dude that they set up well he's not one of us he's not the russian and he's like i am a russian my dad was an ethiopian long distance runner and that's how my parents met in moscow in the olympics and i am one of you and, and i will prove that by dying immediately and rendering my story totally moot. And he's just like, they show him, they set him up, he dies. And spoiler, the dude in Desperado overcomes his broken leg to join the gang and meets up with Antonio Banderas and immediately dies. Well, everybody dies in this movie. Come on. <laughs> it's just infusing these people with like legacies and setting them up to be something. And I don't know if we anticipate that and we're like, this gonna be guy's going to be important. No, he's not. He's dead. And if we're supposed to laugh at that or if it's just a poor example of trying to set up characters and give them some kind of legitimacy and then to have them die. And in the edit, you're like, dude, he died like 15 minutes after his big thing. <laughs> but I did laugh at his death when he's, when he's sitting there and he's going into his story and then he looks over and he's just dead. He did it multiple, multiple times with all the bad guys on the couch. It's like poor poor Bob is like trying to speak to he's, got, he's trying to make some connection and he's so like he bores all his victims to death. 
<laughs> literally i mean pavel is really he's pretty tore up i mean i think he's like in signs he's like being held together by a car <laughs> the indignity of having to listen to bob Oden odenkirk uh, in his final <laughs> moments of life he <laughs> well he asks who are you right probably an innocent question and he's probably hoping for a shorter answer than he gets because he doesn't have a lot of time left. But when they turn to him and he's done, and when they turn to the Russian SWAT guy on the couch and he's done, you kind of can't help but laugh and kind of can't help but feel a little bit bad for Hutch, who's just trying to have a moment. Yeah, and so I'm going to go ahead and choose to accept that this is a movie convention that's supposed to be funny. <laughs> right, and I think that the movie had a really hard time finding its tone. And then once they get to the manufacturing plant where he goes all home alone, by then it had found its rhythm and everybody lives. So it's kind of comedy. But I think it had a really hard time finding that. I definitely didn't expect that. Maybe they were trying to misdirect us and that's why it felt that way. It's nice to right to think that this is a glorious misdirect, which is taking something we obviously know. They're trading so hard on John Wick, and they're really not offering a lot to differentiate it. So what does differentiate it? Maybe it's playing with our expectations. But uh, I did not expect super old Christopher Lloyd dad role, who's obviously was a, f a former badass. And it's not like he would have been like, ah, one last ride, time to hang it up for good. And he could have gone out in the blaze of glory. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that uh, Hutch's family was coming to see Grandpa all that much. And then Radio Man Rizza, who we didn't expect to see at all when we finally saw him. I thought he was going to be the first to go, with all respect to black dudes on film. I thought one of these characters is totally going to bite it and go out in glorious fashion, and neither did. No, neither did. And how much of that is setting up for the sequel? They seem to luxuriate in letting a lot of things hang, presumably for a sequel. I was a little worried about Christopher Lloyd when they first introduced him in the armchair. Like, oh man, that's he, he's not looking so great. And then he really perks up and it's obvious that he was playing the old man role, giving the retirement bit a try. <laughs> um, but he throws down. But he really is an old man. I mean, I thought I was like, yeah, Bob Odenkirk is going to be a tough sell because he's pretty old. He trained for two years because that's how long it takes to train in order to get 58 years old in shape to throw down. A lot Dude. of elaborate choreography. But Christopher Lloyd, no matter how you cut it, is in his 80s. And I was like, Christopher Lloyd, let's take care of him. He's a national treasure. And then he got up and threw <laughs> throw down. And I was like, cool, he's going to go on a, out in a blaze of glory. But nothing is more indicative of Christopher Lloyd and his actual ability to, th to throw down was their kind of claim to fame. Like Bob Odenkirk's like, yeah, I'm old, but I spent two years and I got in pretty good shape. And indeed, he really did. Christopher Lloyd's like accolade for this movie was they're like, hey, did you know that Christopher Lloyd in this movie actually held, was allowed to hold all those heavy shotguns without assistance? <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, he also fired them. Was it all? I mean, because I've fired shotguns and they give some kick. Obviously, these are blanks, but he fired a lot of weapons in this movie. And maybe it was all Abigail Breslin Zombieland style, where, yes, she was holding guns. Yes, she was firing guns, but she was underage. So I think every single one of those shots was digitally added. Oh, it's possible. The yeah. The visual effects were pretty flawless. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if, if it came out that all of Christopher Lloyd's um, muzzle flashes, maybe if those were all digitally uh, created, but he it's but it's all very convincing and he seems to use them 
to handle them deftly. I mean, he's the shotgun man. Yep. And I guess you don't have to have a ton of aim or precision with shotguns. And Hutch was he's like, you brought a lot of shotguns. <laughs> and then and Rizzo's pretty convincing. Uh, there's a great moment of choreography where he shoots. I don't know what kind of gun it is, but he shoots behind him. And then the kickback or whatever punches the guy in front of him in the face. Yeah, Do you remember I, that, that one? Yeah, I think that was, was a good. shotgun. Maybe a pistol grip one or something. I remember that shot. I remember thinking, I hope he's wearing ear protection. Oh, right, because the, he shoots the gun like right on his shoulder. Yep. Some great weapon handling for Christopher Lloyd, who you would kind of just be surprised if he could hold up a shotgun. But Christopher Lloyd wasn't cast for his gun handling experience. Christopher Lloyd, in my opinion, was cast solely for his ability to exhibit sheer glee <laughs> in an otherwise very violent, very bloody scene. Like his joy in taking out the bad guys, especially as they're all backing into each other for their final showdown, is just so patently Christopher Lloyd and so wonderful to witness. So this director is used to this frenetic style of filmmaking because he directed Hardcore Harry. Do you remember hearing about this one? Oh, wasn't that the video game movie? It looked like a video game because it was entirely POV, first person POV. Oh, that's right. So it's hands yep. running in the frame and like stunt performers with GoPros on their helmets or whatever, right? An intense yep. fight choreography that's meant to look stitched together because it's all supposed to be happening in real time. And obviously that was a gimmick. And to an extent, nobody is a gimmick as well. But it was shot with with a, an assured hand for this type of action filmmaking. I found it curious. Number one, this dude is way younger than you, born in 83. And number two, that dude was born in Russia. So for the movie that swats down the Russian mob again, he wasn't a part of the John Wick franchise, but he is the Russian making the Russians bad guys in this Russian bad guy movie. <laughs> well, I mean, the everyday ordinary Russians probably don't like the Russian mob either. Do you think this is part of the John Wick universe? Like, really? This is from the files of John Wick, or if there was the spinoff TV show, John Wick Tales. I think that this syndicate of crime, this Russian crime family thing exists. Uh, similarly, apparently, there's this network of underground barbershop and beauty salon like information <laughs> networks that it goes back to the 80s it's been around since the action jackson days and this is where the tough guys go to get their their deep dark information on anyone in the criminal underworld but he's not underworld he's got friends in high places in official places friends who can pick up the phone and make a call and have him released from custody after two of the bloodiest crime scenes, one being his home and the second being the manufacturing plant. Um, after leaving those crime scenes, he's he's presumably going to be let go by those two officers who are questioning him at the top of the film. So there's something official. There's something sanctioned going on in the world of nobody. And Hutch is probably not the only one. I mean, there's something very identifiable and known about what he does in this world, as exhibited by the old timer in the tattoo parlor who recognizes Hutch's tattoo and thanks him for his service. Yeah, I think there's a lot of credibility in that. That's the strong suit of these types of movies. The legends that precede them that are substantiated by the horrified looks on the faces of anybody who knows who they are. It's like, you idiot, John Wick is not just nobody. My Russian accent is terrible. This is maybe my worst Russian accent since our tenant review. Let's talk about the family a little bit. Were they worth salvaging? Apparently, he and Becca make up, right? Because they're buying the 
house with the cucina at the end? I never got the sense that his marriage was in trouble because that's contrary to Hutch's entire point. He didn't have to be that dude. He was that dude by choice. You know, you've got a teenage son, for God's sake. Make that kid take out the trash. If his marriage <laughs> and his family home life was falling apart, he failed in large part in his purpose of letting it all go to have the happiness. And so I never really felt in danger. I felt like they had a miscommunication. But then you mm -hmm. would think that if they were on the verge of, like, I can't take this anymore, in a, like a true lie sense where maybe she just needed a little action and adventure, then when she finds out that trouble's a brewing and he locks him in the basement, don't call 911, and then they have that conversation in the garage and she, he reveals that, look, I'm setting off on this course of action because this is what I have to do and you didn't know this about me, but this is actually my real life. And then she accepts it and she's like, come back, just come back. And that was acceptance when that could have been her opportunity to be like, I didn't sign up for this. We were given indication that she knew about his former life. I mean, he says when she's when he, she's patching him up, just like old times. Eh? And because of her lack of total surprise, when he comes in all busted up, it, it made me think, all right, so she she understands something about his history that maybe they're not letting the kids in on although she kind of disparages him in front of the kids when she's like you know charlie was a real soldier insinuating Ugh. that you know the dad wasn't so i was a little confused like was she covering for him and maybe not disparaging him it seemed disparaging in her tone she wasn't really surprised when he when he comes in all busted up but she was kind of surprised when he locks them down in the basement so like she was so inconsistent in her reaction to what was going on that it made me confused about their relationship what she actually knew um the son doesn't really get any resolution for you know he's he he really he obviously doesn't respect his dad and though given ample opportunities to kind of see a, a different side of him the son never really has a turn and the daughter who obviously adores him seems to take it kind of all in stride either she really isn't registering what's going on or she knows something that we don't. And maybe like the Incredibles, maybe the mom's like cover, her like civilian identity is to be the nagging wife mom. Because yes, she knows about the, the his past and she was inconsistent because she was also not responsive. When he was like, everyone in the basement now. And she was surprised and shocked when he corralled everybody and put them down there. And you would think right. if she had been a part of his past, she would have been like action time and grab the kids by the right. nape of the neck and hauled them down there. But she was just as confused. Uh, a, kind of a strange turn for Connie Nielsen, who's been around for you know a good long while. I remember her most from Gladiator. And she's been in right. the, the Wonder Women. She was one of the Themyscirians. Isn't she the queen? Yes, I think she is. And so when I saw her, I thought, okay, she's going to have something. And she doesn't really have something beyond a few speaking lines and being, you know, kind of simpatico. Not a lot of resolution. And really, I don't think they got that far. I think this was the John Wick stunt team and writer and everybody sitting around probably having beers. And for some reason, Bob Odenkirk shows up and he's like, dude, you guys are the John Wick team. I had an idea because I had this home breaking thing. One time. Anyway, if I was like a badass, but I was like middle aged and all the tropes that come with that, like middle aged white guy kind of thing and being underestimated and like they perked up and he's like, what? And they're like, we should make that movie. Because even though we all love Bob Odenkirk, we love Breaking Bad, we love Better Call Saul, 
I still didn't expect him in this kind of role. And I think it's because Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Jimmy McGill, is so non-confrontational that for Bob Odenkirk to present as so confident as Hutch was a strange turn for me and, and believable in a way that I didn't think was possible. So it worked for you. It worked. It feels like a John Wick light. It feels like the Bourne movies when Matt Damon was like, I'm going to sit this one out and Jeremy Renner came in or the Mission Impossible movies where in some of the scenes, Tom Cruise was like, I'm going to sit this one out and Jeremy Renner came in or <laughs> like or any of the Marvel movies where like all the A-listers and the Iron Man and stuff have all their fights and they're like, OK, we got to give them a break. And then Jeremy Renner steps in. <laughs> It's like Bob Odenkirk, unexpected, but hit all the marks, literally. And I thought that it was fun to watch and certainly dumb. I felt that Bob Odenkirk being delightful and a comedian was more fun than Keanu Reeves. And, and everybody loves Keanu Reeves. Fun movie, great action, but nobody is not a movie for everybody. <laughs> Poster right? quote. Right? A certain audience here. He's a suburban dad. And he's probably playing out all of these fantasies that other suburban dads have. But you're not a suburban dad, so I guess this is no fantasy of yours. I'm pretty close. And I can do all yeah? this stuff. I just don't want to. Right. So official review on Nobody. Definitely an all right review. I was expecting to be bored and wasn't. And that is high praise for a movie of this type, which didn't really deliver anything new, except seeing Christopher seeing Christopher Lloyd in a way that I never expected to or thought I would see him. Not not like ever again, because I've never seen him like this. That was and he was a joy to watch. Kudos to Bob Odenkirk for shouldering a pretty huge movie. It felt like Bob Odenkirk, but it felt right for nobody. I really enjoyed watching this movie. I felt like, though it had a lot of problems throughout, it really paid off. Enough so that I ended up watching this movie twice in two days. So I think that's pretty high praise for nobody, and I definitely give it a good. And there you have it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. That's our review on Nobody, available for $20 on VOD. Who is watching Nobody? Let us know. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.